Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. Today with me I have Lilach Buluk. Uh, oh, go on Lilach, tell me if I pronounced, it, pronounced your uh, name right. It's pretty close, it's Lilach, but Lilach. that'll do, honestly, don't worry about it, it's cool. I did, pra- I did practice that one. Um, you did and- practice, it sounds good, don't worry, it's very close, nine out of ten. Yeah, I'm used to, I'm used to learning a bit of Spanish and to, then to try and put pronunciation on a different language it's really tough to learn but um thanks for uh, I was just saying to Lilach uh just before Ooh. we started recording that the uh, it's the first time that I've used the LinkedIn audio description uh, which as a podcast that's really handy so uh yeah thanks for putting out there that, uh thanks for putting that on there Lilach um, <laughs> uh, and today we're going to be talking about how to create a killer content brief but before we go into the detail of today's podcast, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. Thanks so much, Scott. I'm uh, really excited to be here today. Uh, so I've been an entrepreneur now for around 16 years. I uh, started because um, I wanted to spend more time with my family and work from home. The irony is that now everyone's working from home. Um, and yeah, I've built several businesses over the few years. I've sold a business. I've also lost a business. Um, so I've had the uh, ups and downs of a typical entrepreneurial life. I uh, Currently, I run my own content marketing boutique agency. I work with uh, tech um, entrepreneurs, startups, helping them with their content marketing. I'm also a business coach. And uh, pre-corona, I was also a professional speaker. So, yes, that's a little bit about me. So, in short, you're very busy. (laughs) (laughs) I like to keep uh, busy, yes. And and we can edit this out if you're not ready to share it. But um, uh, you're also soon to launch your own podcast. So you're welcome to share any details about that if you'd like. Oh, thank you, Scott. Yes, I am. It's called The Leelach Bullock Show. Um, and it's going to help entrepreneurs and business owners become more successful, focusing on 
everything from uh, business tips to also the whole mindset around success and fears and what holds people back. So, yeah, I'm really excited to be launching it very soon. And, and in that story of your career so far, can you maybe explain where, I guess, content came to the forefront and content production became the forefront and you launched your agency? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I initially started, my agency initially was in social media. So we used to provide social media marketing services. Um, and obviously that's heavy with content because you need to be able to write great um, updates, social media posts, and they all need to be very content focused. Um, I also had a strong email list, which was growing and growing. And now I've got around 20,000 on that. So I've always been obsessed with content and testing, you know, headlines and what makes people tick and, and to provide as much value as possible. So it was really a very natural progression. I was a prolific uh, blogger. Um, I wrote for hundreds of different publications as well as my own site and we drove a lot of traffic to it so it was a natural progression people started to ask me for content and it just progressed and grew from there really that's interesting I always forget about the days um particularly with Twitter where the character restrictions would force you to be really creative with oh, copywriting. My God. And I in a way, it was, <laughs> I, I, I kind of, I look back on it fondly, but it was a, a real pain. Uh, and I'll tell you what, though, it does help you hone your skills as a writer. You learn how to be kind of really succinct. Is that what you found? A hundred percent, yeah. And it's like, these people today, they have no idea how lucky they are, do they? You know, um, <laughs> it used to take so long to write it. And it's funny because even now when I post an update on LinkedIn, I'll write a really long update and then I'll post it and I forget the word count there. So then I have to re-edit it as well. So it, it, it keeps us on our toes. But I, I think it's I think it's good to be able to write short, punchy things which grab people's mm. attention. I think it's a really good skill to be able to learn yeah that's funny you say that I'm exactly the same for pretty much any platform I'm, I'm more of a natural long-form writer um, however I do like the challenge of making things that are long more succinct so I actually mm. really love the process of I really love the process of going over my character count on any social platform and then having to reduce my word count because it, it makes you really think about the words that you're using and cut out any stuff that, you, that is unnecessary so yes. yeah I, like I mean that. I do it all the time you know it's something that <laughs> I wish I could say that first time writing I get the numbers correct each time but I never do so <laughs> I'm always having to cut back and take um, and often as you say I think it's a much better way of writing because when we rewrite something the more we rewrite it often the better it becomes yeah and and so you start to get more briefs for content writing. You start to build up that agency over time. I want to know a little bit about the position you're in now and just setting the context for the listeners today. We're going to be talking about content briefs. Mm. And I just want to know, you know, how many projects, how many briefs are you working on each year at the moment? Are we talking hundreds, thousands over the years? Okay, great. Now, that's a really good question. We tend to focus more on quality content and a lot of long form content. So when we write, for example, a blog post or a white paper, they tend to be 
you know, at least sort of 1,200 words rather than short 500 words. Um, and also because we do a lot of website projects as well. So we're writing website content from scratch or we're re-editing. So our projects tend to be longer, sort of meatier rather than high volume. Um, it really depends on each given month. I mean, um, obviously with Corona, we are seeing less content needed people are looking at perhaps doing in-house or putting it on hold but what we're finding is instead of creating blog posts they want sales content instead or they're looking to revamp their website content so it changes all the time okay well that makes you a great person to speak to because um in my show notes i've got an uh got a got a question and also some notes to say you've probably seen it all when it comes to content briefs so you've probably seen good briefs bad briefs briefs for different types of projects and probably in all different formats so i guess on that note can you describe what makes a good great content brief for you so what when you receive it lights you up and makes you think yes I, this is something that i can work with well, I think, first of all, receiving a content brief is a good thing because actually a lot of the clients we work with, they don't know how to create content briefs because they're not a content agency. They're not content marketers themselves. They just know what their goal is, what they want to achieve. So often we'll actually write the brief for them for their approval with some right. direction from them. But I think... Obviously, that's not for everybody, and some do write detailed briefs. But I think, you know, what lights me up is actually receiving a detailed brief, which sounds terribly lazy, which doesn't require <laughs> much input from me, and I can just go, yep, we're on it. That's absolutely fine. Um, but often what we do is we'll put together a few outlines. We'll do some keyword research. We'll give them suggestions, recommendations, um, and we'll look at what the competitors are doing as well, just to give them more input as well. But, you know, if when you're not in this industry, it really can be difficult to write them. Um, and often when they do write them, they don't focus on the outcome. They focus on themselves rather than what are the benefits to the reader. So we try to educate them. Um, when we've been working with people for a long time, They'll also say, oh, well, you can do it better than us. Can you just, this is what we want to do. Can you do it? And just check that the keywords are there as well. Um, but, yes, I mean, when they do give me a content brief, because I tell you when they do give me a content brief, and that is often when they've already got in-house content marketers and they have an overflow because then they're familiar with it and they know exactly what they're right. Um and then it's incredibly detailed and that's really, really helpful. Okay, so you, you were talking about certain elements of a content brief there. So whether you tend to receive a high quality brief, maybe from an agency, um, uh, sorry, maybe from an in-house team that's kind of got overflow, or whether you then have to go through that process of helping someone write a brief. Can you break down what's included in your brief? So for example, you touched on keywords, you touched on outcome. What, what physically forms that document for you? Yeah, sure. So it's um, where I look at things like um, the audience, what the objective is, what they want to achieve, what keywords, what's the purpose of this piece of content? Um, is it 
is it for the website is it to capture more leads is it to educate is it to inspire what is the main number one focus of it um we'll then look at obviously the keyword side of things we'll also come up with some titles so you know thinking about things which are perhaps a little bit clickbaity which will really particularly if it's an email you know what's going to get people to click and open the emails um, looking at calls to action how can we position them uh, with it when it's a website we also look at positioning as well so where wording is positioned and how it can really stand out and uh, really grab the attention and often we come up with a few different outlines and ideas as well just so that people have a choice because I think people like a choice they want to be able to choose uh, before it's approved mm, that's a, that's interesting and on the flip side um, what's one thing that kind of you think is the most critical out of all of those elements? So what do people tend to miss in content briefs that you think is kind of critical to the writer? Well, I'm a great fan in creating content with a strategy behind it. Um, I think it's really important to not create what I call filler content. And definitely before Corona, we saw a lot of filler content. People had to create content for the sake of it. I think people are now much more mindful of that because budgets are less and people can't just spend money what I call really nearly as they say mm. um so I think it's I think the critical thing is what is the purpose what is the number one goal what do we want to achieve from this piece of content and I think having that goal in mind is really really important so that we can make sure that we capture and achieve the goal Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's... um the phrase that I always kind of was, I, I came up in marketing within the last decade. So yeah, about 10 years ago. And the phrase that I got taught very early on is not to create content for content's sake. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw being in, being in the SEO space for quite a few years early on in my career, I saw a lot of that. 
So content was just being churned out without any, it was really just for ranking purposes, for SEO purposes. And um, then over time, I start to see a lot of projects undertaken to remove that content because people realized that it was just filler content. Mm -hmm. And um, I add site visibility, actually, um, we had a lot of content built up over time. And when we look back on it, which we've been doing over the last couple of years, we, we chip away with content auditing projects. And, um, you know, there, w- there was a lot of filler content on our site, which seemed good or maybe had a purpose at the time or maybe was just for SEO purposes. And we've had to go through the painful process of removing, editing, consolidating. And uh, that is a it's not a very enjoyable process to do that most of the time. So I think front and center for us at Site Visibility, I know for our marketing manager, Sean, and one thing I always challenge him on is, uh, you know, if you're going to create a piece of content, you've, you've got to make sure you've got to really narrow that goal. Uh, and if you don't have a strong goal in mind, probably don't do it. Invest your time mm-hmm. doing something else. Yeah, no, 100% agree. I think, mm. uh, and something else that we do as well, actually, and you touched that really well, is it's also about updating existing content. Because for SEO, you know, when you update content, and particularly in our industry, things are constantly evolving and changing. Um, and content can get outdated really quickly. So I think it's also about looking at, what you already have and trying to work on that and improve that. It's not always about creating fresh new content all the time. Yeah, that's true. Uh, And that's a good role of someone who's um, like in a position like yourself where, you know, someone comes to you with a vision, which we'll touch on in a moment. And um, they ask you to create new content and actually they might have resources right under their nose in which you can edit or update and actually create what they want from what they already have and that's a great position to be in sometimes as well and we've done that to actually we've done that to great effect at site visibility sometimes as well Mm. so yeah it's not always about um culling everything it's about carefully i guess going through the content that you already have and making that decision about whether something does have value to be updated into the future so it's really interesting that you get to handle that side as well Mm, Um, i'm going to ask you uh, uh, and maybe I just maybe I just reverse um, your answer or in some way, but and reverse engineer it. But I'm going to ask you what makes a bad brief. Maybe without naming names, could you speak on some of the worst briefs you've ever received? Oh gosh! Uh... <laughs> well, that that, no, pause, no. That, that that pause meant something's in mind. Yeah, or no. someone. I mean, I think you know, a bad brief is just really no information. You know, it's yeah. it's like. I mean, you need something to work from. And I think, I mean, I do pride myself in that I've created, you know, I've developed a system so that this rarely happens because I think it's also about building relationships with the people you work with and really understanding their business, their model, their target audience so that you can sort of help them and guide them through it. But I think vagueness, you know, I think and I think this comes back to the whole filler content, because when they want filler content, the briefs are just really vague because they have no idea what to do. They just know they have to be creating content. So I think it's when it's really vague. And um, I think also when they want to achieve everything from one piece of content, when you know that the reality, that's just not going to happen. And I think also for me, it's little things like they'll say, okay, we want to create a piece of content. We want it to wow. We want it to rank for SEO, blah, 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 blah. But then 
they only want 500 words <laughs> and it's like that's just impossible so I think it's yeah. I think it's a mixture of managing expectations and I mean I I actually won't work with clients like that anymore um, I used to years ago but now I think I'm too old for that you know I want to work with people who value my expertise as well as my content well I was just going to say it's interesting that you say that because I've covered that on the podcast recently about that gets to this point, what regardless of marketing discipline, it seems, where there's a lot of our role as marketers where you're kind of responsible for educating people over time. Mm-hmm. But then it becomes that boundary. It's like, okay, is it my job to educate you to the degree or wh- where does trust fall into this equation? At some point, you you have to stop educating and trust has to kind of lead in the, lead the way. And has to be mutual. And um, it's funny, uh, a couple of times this has come up here in a more personal podcast where people get to a point in their careers where they're so they're, they're much more confident in their own expertise that they're not they're not as worried or they don't feel as much pressure mm-hmm. to educate. And, and that's not through laziness. That's through, you know, they want the trust that should have been earned through a career of doing good work. Yeah. And um and it's a really hard place to find as a marketer sometimes because I don't know, I think there's a desire within us all the time to to educate and to want to share knowledge. And for me, it's always not trying to, I actually said it before we started recording about something, it's to try and not be patronizing. You never know someone's level of knowledge. And so I'm always conscious of that. But I really love it. And I really think it's refreshing that I'm hearing more and more people say, actually, as marketers, you know, particularly if we've been in this industry some time, you're going to have to trust us and you're going to have to let us work our expertise. And um, so that was just really nice to hear. Yeah, no, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, we're a, an established, I'm an established content writer. So mm. if they want someone cheaper, that they're definitely going to get cheaper than me. So if they don't, you know, what they're getting with me is my expertise, my knowledge, my experience of being in this industry and this space for years. And with that comes recommendations. And if people or companies choose not to take those recommendations, it's kind of like, well, why do you want to work with us? Because that's our USP. That's what you're getting on top of a great piece of content. It's the strategy. I'll say that again. It's the strategic strategic positioning of this piece of content. It's not just... Um, and, and because we're so good at what we do as writers, we do it in a way that's so subtle that people don't realise that it's even built f- for Google as well as the reader. They don't realise that there's all these subtle calls to actions and sales positioning behind it. And I think, yeah, I, I think it's a combination of, for me personally, being older and also just accepting, you know what, I'm good at what I do. I want to work with people who value that. And if they don't, there's plenty more out there who will. I think that's a really good kind of train of thought to follow. And also it actually leads me on to something else I was just thinking as you were talking is that I think, uh, I know we're going off on a slight tangent here, but I guess in a roundabout way, what makes a bad brief is a kind of lack of education or lack of willingness to learn or lack of willingness to trust someone. Mm -hmm. So doing something out of, um, you know, maybe you get a brief that is born out of someone's vanity as opposed to a really defined outcome. I think that would be the way I'd summarise what 
kind of everything that you said about making a bad brief. But one going off on a slight tangent is I think that's a really underappreciated role of copywriters. I see this a lot. I see this sometimes at site visibility, but I just see it more generally in the industry and over my career is that copywriters, just copywriting is an art. It's a craft and you can be strategic and there are a lot of strategic copywriters and I think they get mistaken a lot for content producers. So just being told, you know, this is your brief, do it. Mm. And I just think that's a, I think with copywriters, people that are natural born creatives, I think you should just give them the freedom to explore a little bit more about what they can do strategically with things like you just said, calls to action, mm-hmm. tone, engaging, engaging within copy, hooking mm. people in the emotional connection that's what copywriting is and content production just seems to i don't know maybe 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 like you said maybe it's just getting older and and feeling jaded a little bit but i think <laughs> just when, when when you talk about when you talk about you know do all these amazing things but make sure you fit it into 500 words uh, that to me sounds like it comes from a, a more seo angle and i just think that's a dangerous way of looking at some things sometimes not all the time but sometimes yeah no I agree I mean it's now at the stage where we won't take on those clients Mm. because it's just not worth it to us I I don't want those type of clients I want clients who want to create great content and um and little things like I'm now digressing but you know there's nothing worse than they're saying they want a blog post but actually there's no it's not a blog post it's a press release (laughs) Right, yeah, and it's about educating them that this is a press release, this is not a blog post, you know. And and a lot of companies really find that hard to distinguish. It, it's about educating them that actually their blog needs to be as unpromotional as possible, um, and them getting their head around that. Um, and often they do, but sometimes companies won't. And again. We can obviously create press releases, but we would call that a press release. Um, and I'm digressing here, but I think there is the whole educational side. And some companies are really willing to learn and they want to learn. They want to evolve. They want to improve. Um, and it's often not a problem, but occasionally you do get um, the resilience shall we say? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, actually, it leads me on nicely to something I wanted to ask as part of this podcast anyway, because um, I talked about people that are maybe speaking from more of uh, a perspective of vanity or sometimes their briefs come from a point of ego as opposed mm-hmm. to the fine outcome of the reader. But there are plenty of people out there who have great visions for what they want content to be. Um, they know what the outcome is, but they really struggle to articulate it. I've seen plenty of creative people and plenty of people with great ideas who really just struggle to get that information and turn it into a brief. And I imagine you meet those people too. You've just said the people that are willing to learn, but maybe just aren't there yet. Is there anything that you specifically do or questions that you ask to those people to help draw out that inspiration, those ideas from them and turn it into a brief? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's a really common trait because they're not brief writers. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's more a case of, as I said, understanding their business, understanding what they want to achieve, who their target audience is, what content they've had in the past, so what's performed well or what perhaps hasn't performed well, looking at their competitors as well, seeing what they're doing, what's working and what's not working. 
and just really spending the time to understand what they want to achieve from this piece of content or a series of content pieces and working out what their number one focus and goal is and kind of working backwards from there, really. it's I see it as my job to get that information from them. And I think a good content writer can get that information from them. And I think it's our role to inspire them and to be creative and so, and to give them suggestions of how other ways they could get their message across. You know, it's our role is to create content which educates and compels people, the readers, to take action. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, in what you said there, uh, a lot of listening uh, ability and listening skills that need to be learned. And I think that's a role, you know, if there are, I, I covered this actually in a podcast on the internet marketing podcast, maybe five, 10 episodes ago with uh, Joe Polizzi, the founder of the Content Marketing Institute. And, we, and um, we were talking about characteristics that keep him in, engaged in content marketing. So, um, you know, within the same realm. And we were just saying how, as a as a copywriter, you can be a great copywriter, or you can get be a great content marketer if you're observant and if you pay attention and you listen a lot. So you mm-hmm. kind of listen more than you speak. It, it sounds like those are the skills that you're talking about there, because you really have to pay attention to what someone's saying to draw out that information from them and turn it into what they're looking for. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Another thing which I know a lot of website developers do as well. So whenever you're looking to create a new website, the first thing they'll ask you is, well, show us what websites you like and what websites you don't like, because you can learn a lot from that. And when companies I've worked with really have no idea of what they want or they're just beginning or they're quite novice to it all, I find that asking them, well, what type of content do you like? Because that helps you understand the sort of tone of voice they're going for, what turns them on, what turns them off. And also, it actually, without them knowing, gets them to start reading content online and in their space. Because I think the more we read, I mean, I consume so much content every day in my industry because I think that's so critical for me, not only to learn, but also to learn new things about the industry, but also to discover different content styles. And I think that also helps them realize, oh, wow, there's so much content out here. How can we get seen? How can we be noticed? How can we be different? And I think um, all of these different things contribute and help them. I'm a believer that with, um, with content briefs, the brief doesn't stop at the point in which it's signed off. And I'll explain that a little bit, and I'm interested to hear your perspective on it. Is that I, I always think it's a good thing to... Number one, if you're a copywriter and you have a brief, um, for me, that's kind of pinned to my desktop or that's pinned to my browser, whatever it is. You know, I, I need to keep referring back to that brief as I'm writing to make sure I'm on track. But the other thing that I think is really valuable is that before you finish a content project, you know, maybe 30% of the way in, 50% of the way in, if you can, check that that content that you're producing aligns with the brief via the person that created the brief so via the business that you're working with or via your point of contact because then you can avoid this this issue where you produce something you go a long period of time they get uh, you know the business gets the content at the end and then they're unhappy with it so i guess i consider it consider it like 
checkpoints within your content to make sure that you're on track. I'm just curious from your perspective, is that something that you do? And how post sign off, do you keep things on track? Yeah, no, I love this question. And I think the more, the longer I've been in this game, shall we say, I think at the beginning, I think that is really important because you need to make sure that you're aligned and that your client is happy. But I do find that the more spend, the more time I spend in the beginning by listening to what they want and helping craft the brief either together or on my own and getting approval and feedback, um, the easier it is to be more on point. Now, I think when I'm writing, so we've just been writing some website content for a client. And there's definitely a lot more back and forth with website content because you've got to make sure that the tone of voice is right. And often when they see it, there's changes and then they often will say, well, actually, can we put it on the actual website so we can see positioning and then we may need to change Uh, lines and things like that. So I definitely think it depends on the type of article or piece of content. But I think with something like website content, there's definitely a lot more back and forth. With a blog post, it's rare that I need approval for it because if, whether it's 1,200 words or 2,500 words, I've kind of got to the stage that I know exactly what they want and it, I don't start a piece of content until I'm confident that I can get them happy with it. Um, we, do, we do do a lot of product reviews as well, actually, um, for tech companies but the more we do, we find that we don't have a huge editorial changing thing, which is why we offer unlimited edits, because we're so confident that we can get it right the first time, maybe the second. But I think that comes with time. You know, that hasn't ha- you know, we've been doing this for so long. Um, and we underst- we work with clients that we understand. So for example, if I don't know their business model or if it's something that's not in my niche or speciality, I won't work with them because I know that the process will be longer and they're better off working with someone else who knows their industry better. So I think part of it is also that we more specialist and um, we're good at what we do. And we, and we spend that time initially in really understanding their market and the tone of voice that they want. That makes sense. And one of my questions was actually going to be about kind of post production. I've noted it as post production amendments, and you've just noted it as kind of unlimited edits. Mm. So that's a, that's a really interesting thing to me as well. I, I think that's a great thing to offer, uh, like you said. But um, it, it shows the, I guess, the confidence in that you're going you're going to get it right. Yeah, but no, we'll thing- get it one hundred percent right. We'll always have a happy customer and make changes until they're content with their content basically but I mean yeah we I mean it sounds really big-headed doesn't it but I like the phrase confident better but as I said I think it's because we know what we're doing and perhaps I cheat because I only work in certain (laughs) pieces because I know that we can deliver good outcomes for them you've written lots of content about this kind of topic and lots in the in the realm of content marketing so before we close is there any either third party or or your own content that you'd like to promote uh, re- related to creating content briefs and the role of copywriters in that? Yeah, no, I mean, I do have some really useful guides on my website, some content guides, 
so feel free to check out our shameless plug here. Thank you no, for the no, invite. Um, but yeah, no, I'm always reading. I mean, I love HubSpot's content. HubSpot's content is phenomenal. They're like a content machine. And I would always recommend people to look at theirs. They often have really handy templates as well. Smart Insights is another good site. Um, there's so many great sites out there. And I think that just says it all. It's such a competitive space that the days are gone where you can just create a shorter post. You know, you really, really have to stand out amongst the competition. Um, But I I try to create content on our own blog that is as good, if not better. I'm very competitive, unfortunately. Uh, But it does drive me. Um, So, yeah. And um, do you want to let our listeners know where else they can find and connect with you? So feel free to shout out social accounts, email addresses, whatever you're willing to share. So my website address is www.lilachbullock.com. So that's Lilach spelled L-I-L-A-C-H. Think of it as Lilac with a H. Um, I'm on Twitter, again, Lilach Bullock. Facebook, uh, Lilach Bullock. I also have a new Facebook group, which I've just launched, um, which you can find me on my Facebook group. And if you want to send me an email, it's leelachbullock at gmail.com. And my new podcast will be launching very soon as well. So check out for that too. Oh, excellent. I'll link to that in the show notes, providing that uh, that's launched in time by the time we launch this podcast. Um, thank you so much, Lilach, for coming on today, uh, for sharing your expertise with us. It was a really interesting discussion. And I'm hoping that it helps all the copywriters and content producers out there and content marketers to, you know, maybe there are a few tips in there to help you create better briefs or, if you're you know working with someone and you need to try and help them articulate their vision and what they're looking for maybe there's some some information in here which you can take away and help them create better briefs for you uh thanks again for your time today lilac and uh this has been the internet marketing podcast Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.